this is the third week of my sermon series called Getting Your Act Together. This series is a step-by-step plan that is absolutely guaranteed to help you clean up your messy life. If your life is a mess, if you're unhappy, if, you're, if your life just always seems to be in turmoil, if you know that you are your own worst enemy because you keep making the same poor choices over and over again, then this series is especially for you. No matter how messed up your life is, you really can. You really can get your act together. You have, maybe you haven't had your act together in years, but you can um, clean it up and get back to where you need to be. Now, if you were here two weeks ago, you know that step number one in this process is to improve your attitude. It starts with how you think. You have to think differently about your life and your priorities and so on. Then last week, uh, we talked about step number two in the process, which is to do the right thing even when you don't feel like it. And now it's easy to do the right thing when you do feel like it, but the key to really changing your life is to do the right things even when you don't feel like it. And that brings us today to step number three, which is to learn to live in the real world. Now, those of us who live in central Florida, we understand fantasy worlds, don't we? Because right down the road, we have a place uh, where just about any uh, wild dream you ever had can come true. It's a place where make-believe characters come to life. It's a place where genies pop out of lanterns. It's a place where nannies hold their umbrellas in the air and float off into the sky. It's a place where beasts turn into princes. It's a place where you can soar through space. You can go on an African safari. You can venture back into the time of the dinosaurs. It's a place where there are no weeds and no trash but plenty of ice cream and cotton candy. It's a place where technologies of the future are already in use today. Why, it's such an amazing place that some might even call it a magic kingdom. And it's fun. It's great to be able to go out there and experience that land of make-believe that has been prepared especially for our enjoyment. What's not healthy, however, is when people live every day in their own little land of make-believe that they have constructed in their minds. In this series, we're talking about people whose lives are messed up, and one of the things you can say about almost all of these people is that they are out of touch with reality. They have a warped perspective on life, and they do not see things as they really are. And as a result, they are almost always unhappy because they end up experiencing so many failures and disappointments. They want things they're never going to get. They expect things that are never going to happen. They pursue things that are completely out of reach. And they believe things that simply are not true. And for this reason, because they are living in a fantasy world, happiness for them becomes a virtual impossibility. 
So if you want to get your act together, you have to figure out, are you living in the real world or in a fantasy world? And that's what I want to try to help you determine today. There are four indicators, four signs that you might be living in a fantasy world. And I'm going to talk through those four indicators, and I want you to listen. Don't think about the person next to you. Think about yourself and see if you can figure out today if you are living in the real world or in a fantasy world. Okay, the first indication that you might be living in a fantasy world would be if you think and talk a lot about the past. If you think and talk a lot about how things used to be. If you think and talk a lot about the good old days. If you resist change. If you resist new technologies and you refuse to embrace better ways of doing things then it's likely that you are living in a time that doesn't exist anymore. And that is something successful and happy people never do. In Philippians 3, 13 and 14, Paul said, I focus on one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race. Now, Paul was one of the most successful people who ever lived. And one thing he refused to do was live in the past. Another great verse of scripture is Psalm 118 and verse 24. You might recognize it as a song that we have sung before. It says, this is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Now, friends, the clear teaching of scripture is that we should let go of the past and live for today. Now, that doesn't mean that we never look back. That doesn't mean that we don't study history because we all know that history has a lot to teach us. But we have to understand that the past is gone, and if we're going to live meaningful lives, we have to do it in the here and now. And by the way, let me just um, say something about those good old days that you hear so much about. The good old days just seem to get better and better, don't they? The older you get, they just keep getting better and better. And, and the reason this is true is not because they have changed, it's because of the way people's minds work. We have an uncanny ability to practice what's called selective memory. Selective memory is when you kind of hang on to the things in the past that you liked and just kind of block out everything else. For example, I remember when I was a kid, I'm going to say about 10 years old, they would have in our community what they called gas wars. Now, that's, that's a term you never hear anymore. But when I was a kid, all the gas stations in town and the surrounding area would have a gas war. And that means they would all lower their prices, and they'd all try to get down to the lowest price in town to get all the business. And so all the gas prices at all the stations would just be dropping, dropping, dropping. And I remember when I was maybe 10, 11, 12 years old, I remember gas in our town got down to 17 cents a gallon. And some of you are thinking, man, he must be 100 years old if he can. <laughs> no, I'm not. But no, I can remember gas 17 cents a gallon. So now when I go out and fill up one of my vehicles, uh, for like 25 or $30. I think about that and I think, wow, those were the good old days, right? You could buy 10 gallons of gas for less than what you can buy one gallon today. Wow. 
those were the good old days. And it wasn't just gas. You probably remember, if you're my age or older, you probably remember when bread was 30 or 40 cents a loaf. You probably remember when you could go to a movie for a dollar. And I'm not talking about some Saturday morning, 10 a.m. kitty special where they show you a six-year-old movie. I'm talking about Friday night or Saturday night. You could go to a movie for one dollar, and it would be clean. We can remember when there was no traffic. And I mean anywhere. There really was no traffic. There weren't that many cars on the road. And there was no such thing as road rage because nobody had even thought of that term yet. There was no need for it. We can remember when you could watch TV for free. You know, there was no such thing as a $100 cable bill or satellite bill. You just turn on your television and there were the stations and they were free. Raise your hand if you can remember this. Yes, see, some of the young people are going, that can't be true. <laughs> no, it's true. And we think, wow, those are the good old days. But we forget that it was during those same old days that we had to suffer through the summer heat because we didn't have central air conditioning in our homes or our cars. We forget that it was during those same old days that people suffered from diseases like polio and tuberculosis, which are virtually non-existent today. We forget that it was during those days that instead of having a cell phone in your pocket, you had one telephone in your house, it was hanging on the wall of your kitchen, and you shared that line with 12 other people on your block. So that when you wanted to pick up the phone and make a call, you couldn't because the neighbor lady was on the phone. And you had to hang it up and wait for her to get done. It was during those same old days that that free television we just all had such warm memories of. Yeah, well, there were only three stations, and you got two of them pretty well, but that third one was always really snowy, and it never failed that your favorite program was always on that third station, and so you're looking through all the, the snow to try to see the picture. And it was during those old days that Instead of having three bedrooms and a bath, you had three bedrooms and a path. And you know what that means. <laughs> we have an uncanny ability to glorify the past. The past you're so in love with, not only is it gone, it probably never existed. Because you have it blown up in your mind. That's what everybody does. You have it blown up in your mind to where you think it was better than it really was. And friends, that's why it's not healthy to live in the past. What you need to do is take Paul's advice. Forgetting what lies behind, you need to step up into the real world and press on toward the goal. The second indication that you might be living in a fantasy world is if you use the word can't a lot. If you see things like, I just, I just can't get along with my wife. I just can't quit smoking. I've tried. I just can't. I just can't forgive him for what he did. I just can't find the time to serve at church. I just can't understand the Bible. 
I just can't get over what he did for me. I just can't make ends meet on my paycheck. Frank Minerth and Paul Meyer wrote a book that is possibly the finest book ever written on the subject of mental health and happiness for Christians. It's called Happiness is a Choice. And I want to read you a paragraph from that book. As psychiatrists, we cringe whenever our Christian patients use the word can't. Any good psychiatrist knows that the words I can't are just a lame excuse. We insist that our patients be honest with themselves and use language that expresses the reality of the situation. So we have our patients change their can'ts to won'ts. If an individual changes all of his can'ts to won'ts, he stops avoiding the truth, quits deceiving himself, and starts living in reality. Well, those are some great words. Now, I will tell you, I, I've thought about those words so many times over the years as I've been talking to people about some problem in their life, and I, I, I hear them sitting there saying, oh, Pastor Mark, I, I just can't do this. I, I just can't do this. And I'm sitting there thinking about all the people there are in the world who are out there doing what this person says can't be done. You say, I just can't pay my bills on the money I make. I will guarantee you there is somebody out there making what you make or less and paying their bills. You say, I, I just can't find the time to get involved in church. I'm too busy. I will guarantee you there is somebody out there who's just as busy as you are and still finding time to serve the Lord. You say, I just can't forgive that person for what he did to me. I will guarantee you there is somebody out there who has been hurt just as bad as you, maybe worse, and has still found grace in their hearts to forgive. Friends, if you go around all the, thing, all the time talking about the things you can't do, you are living in a fantasy world because the real world is the world of can, not can't. In Philippians 4.13, Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. God is real. His power is real. He has promised it to us. He has made it available to us. It is our job to do what the Lord asks us to do and not complain about what we can't do. God has empowered us. He's given us everything we need. The real world is the world of can. So if you're sitting around all the time talking about the things you can't do, you're probably living in a fantasy world. The third indication that you might be living in a fantasy world would be if you're surprised when bad things happen to you. I've seen a lot of tragedy in my life uh, just by virtue of the fact that I've been in ministry. I've been close to people who have experienced murders and suicides and fires and tornadoes and hurricanes and terminal illnesses, just about anything you can think of. And I never cease to be amazed at how many people seem genuinely surprised when something bad happens to them or, or someone they love. Oh, why, Lord? Why are you allowing this to happen to me? Lord, why is this happening? Why, why, why? And I always think, why not? Why shouldn't something bad happen to you? Oh, because you're a Christian? Does the Bible say that bad things will never happen to Christians? I don't think so. In fact, my Bible 
guarantees that bad things will happen to Christians. And I'll tell you something else. My Bible, from start to finish, from the book of Genesis all the way to Revelation, tells one story after another about terrible things that happen to godly people. Think about Joseph, who was sold into slavery. Think about Daniel, who was thrown into a lion's den. Think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who were thrown into a fiery furnace. Think about the disciples, all of whom were martyred. Think about Paul, who was shipwrecked and beaten and imprisoned. Think about Jesus, who was nailed to a cross. And you think nothing bad is ever going to happen to you? You must be living in a fantasy world. Ecclesiastes 11.8 says, When people live to be very old, let them rejoice in every day of life, but let them also remember there will be many dark days. And over in the New Testament, we have 1 Peter 4.12 and following. Peter said, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, Keep on rejoicing. These passages and others in the Bible like it ought to be underlined in your scripture, in your Bible, to remind you that suffering is part of the normal human and especially the the normal Christian experience. If you are shocked and amazed and angry when something happens to you, what world are you living in? Finally, fourth indication that you might be living in a fantasy world would be if you're always looking for a quick fix for your problems. For example, if you have serious financial problems and you think the best way to fix that is to go buy some lottery tickets, you might be living in a fantasy world. If you and the person you're dating fight all the time and you think the best way to fix that is to get married, you might be living in a fantasy world. If you hurt someone deeply and you think you ought to just be able to say I'm sorry and make everything okay, you are living in a fantasy world. If you have teenage children who are always getting into trouble and you think just moving them to a different school is going to straighten them right up, you're living in a fantasy world. If your life is completely dysfunctional because of years and years of poor choices and you think just going to church or getting religion is going to fix everything, you're living in a fantasy world. Friends, quick fixes almost never work because they usually don't deal with the root or the underlying problem. Quick fixes are usually very cosmetic in nature. They make things look better on the surface, but they really don't drill down deep enough to fix what's really wrong. I once heard a preacher say one time that anytime you're in a really bad situation, anytime you're in a mess, Make a list of your options. What are some of the things you can do to deal with that situation? And he said, look at that list, and whichever one of those options is the quickest and easiest, scratch it out. 
because probably it's not going to be a good option for you. And I'm not sure I agree with that 100% of the time, but I think that's probably mostly true. That the quick, easy fix is probably not the best choice for you. Open your Bibles if you have them to Luke 21. I want to show you something Jesus said to his disciples. Um, Luke 21, I'm going to begin reading at verse 16. He was warning them about something that was going to happen, something they were going to face. He said, even those closest to you, your parents, brothers, relatives, and friends, will betray you. They will even kill some of you. And everyone will hate you because you are my followers. But not a hair of your head will perish. By standing firm, you will win your souls. And I want you to focus on that last line. By standing firm, you will win your souls. And you know what he's saying to them right there? He's saying, guys, look, this is going to be bad. This is, this is going to be a tough situation for you. And I want to tell you, there aren't going to be any fixes. There's no way to fix what's going to happen to you. The answer is just simply to stand firm. The answer is just simply to hang in there. Listen, friends, a lot of the Christian life is nothing more than endurance. If you think there's a quick fix, and sometimes any fix, you're probably wrong. The Christian life is mostly about standing firm, hanging in there, and not giving. I realize that when you turn on a television sitcom, whatever problem they happen to be dealing with can all be wrapped up in 30 minutes. You go to the movie theater, it might take two hours. But in real life, there just aren't very many quick fixes. And sometimes there's no fix at all. You just have to. Let me say one more thing in closing. If after going through this list, you think you might be living in a fantasy world, if you've seen yourself in some of these qualities, then you need to make the necessary changes and come back to reality. And you need to do it soon. Why? Because God has been known to jerk his children back to reality. And I will just say this, when God jerks you, you will know you have been jerked. <laughs> Think about King David in the Old Testament. The night he began his affair with Bathsheba, he stepped into a fantasy world. He began telling himself things that had no basis in reality. He told himself that he loved her, that he couldn't live without her. That wasn't true. He told himself they were soulmates. Nah, they just lusted for each other. He told himself it would be a brilliant strategy to send 
her husband off to the front lines of battle where he would likely be killed and that would make her a single woman and he could marry her. No, it wasn't a brilliant strategy. It was sin. Worst of all, David told himself that because he was king, he could do whatever he wanted with impunity. When it became apparent that David was hunkered down in his fantasy world and that he wasn't coming out on his own, God jerked him back to reality. And it was the most painful experience of his life. It cost him the life of his baby son. It cost him untold grief and pain. In Psalm 51, after being harshly jerked back to reality by God, David wrote, I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. In other words, I realize I've been living in a fantasy world. And it haunts me. Today, if you have seen yourself in this message, if one or more of the indicators I've talked about it are true and present in your life, please come back to reality and do it soon. Because until you do, you will never, ever be able to get your act together. All of the answers you're looking for, all of the fixes to your problems, all of the paths back to spiritual health and happiness are found in the real world. Father in heaven, I know that every day Satan is working to try to get us to believe things that are not true. He tries to fill our hearts and our heads with all sorts of ideas and expectations that are false and unrealistic. And Lord, I just pray that you would help us to reject all of that and simply trust what you tell us in your word. Lord, I know that reality is scary sometimes. The real world is filled with cold, hard truths. And so is the Bible. But I also know that it's in the real world that real problems are solved. It's in your word that real solutions are found. And so help us to reject whimsies and pipe dreams and fantasies and to just trust your truth. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Well, the first step back to the real world is to connect with a real Satan, and that's Jesus. And maybe you've been trusting other things to save you. Yeah, that's another characteristic of somebody living in a fantasy world. There's only one Savior, and his name is Jesus. That's the truth, that's the reality, and until you make a connection with the real Savior, you're living in a fantasy world. So, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus today, we want you to have that. It's going to involve you placing your faith and trust in Him and repenting of the sin in your life and confessing Him before men and being baptized and 
And if you are not clear on some of that, not real sure what that's all about, we want to help you with it. That's what we do. Uh, Mike or I or Jack would be happy to sit down with you and just show you what the Bible says and, and show you what it means to have a relationship with Christ. You may have something else going on in your life. Maybe one of these uh, points hit home with you today. Maybe you're a person who says can't a lot. Maybe you're a person who um, is surprised when bad things happen. Maybe you get angry at God when bad things happen. Maybe today is the day you need to just face all that and step into the real world because that's where your solutions to your problems are going to be found. Not in fantasies, not in whimsies, but in real truth. We're going to sing this song. It's going to be your opportunity to make whatever decision you need to make in your life so that you can move forward from today uh, with greater hope and greater peace. Let's sing.